Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job by investing, by having a side hustle, by being a freelancer or starting a business, whatever it might be. And today, I'm super excited to bring an expert on. And seriously, guys, no joke, he's an expert at side hustles. No joke, he knows thousands of ways to do side hustles, and I brought him on to share with us how we can do a side hustle just like he did. All right, let's do this. Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We've already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence so you will never work for someone else again. And now, here's your host, Dustin Heiner. I have been looking forward to this episode for a while because I'm bringing on a friend of mine who actually has his own podcast teaching people and interviewing people how to have their own side hustle because there are so many different types of side hustles out there. If you were to take your brain and start trying to figure out any side hustle that you can probably start for your own self, you're probably going to come up with maybe five, 10 at most, but there are literally thousands of side hustles and my expert bringing on today. He's a fantastic podcaster, entrepreneur, but he's also interviewed thousands of people who have their own side hustles. He has the podcast called Side Hustle Nation, where he interviews all these experts. Today, we're going to learn how he actually became successfully unemployed in this episode. Now, always remember, you can get my real estate investing course absolutely for free if you text the word rental, R-E-N, T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. I will literally give you my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Show you how to find an area of the country to invest, no matter where you live. How to make sure you make $250 a month in passive income from every property. How to scale the business. How to make it automatic where other people do the work for you. That's how I became successfully unemployed. So get that. Rental to 33777. Now let's jump into today's show where I interview the expert of Side Hustles, Nick Loper of Side Hustle Nation. Nick, thank you so much for being on the Successfully Unemployed Show. Dustin, man, thank you for having me. I want to jump right into it. How do you make money? How, how are you able to not work nine to five, live your own life, and still make money to provide for your family? So we should back it up. So the podcast uh, was not the vehicle that let me quit my job. That was a side project um, from the, the business that I was running at the time. That was the vehicle that let me quit my job. And so that business, the original quote side hustle that I felt, you know, qualified me to talk about this stuff was a uh, comparison shopping site for footwear. And so this is going to date me a little bit because comparison shopping is not uh, what it once was. So this is like 2005-ish, 2006-ish, um, where most product searches started on Google and not on Amazon. So my theory was if I could build a a dedicated shopping engine just for footwear because my competitors at that time were Nextag and Pricegrabber and Shopping.com, these like big old comparison engines where they would try and be everything to everyone and pull in all these product categories. The difficulty uh, in doing that was they weren't super accurate, especially for soft goods where there's no um, like universal skew, like a digital camera. Um, super easy to build a comparison page for that because it's like 
this is the model or this is like the unit number that like is the same across every retailer with quote so-called soft goods you know we had to build this cool comparison like string based uh, algorithm which ended up beating the big comparison engines probably three quarters of the time and we had coupon integrations at the at the product level it was a ton of fun that was the original uh, side hustle and so that was kind of the uh, you know the three years of nights and weekends trying to you know build this thing from the ground up and drive traffic and and everything um, and it was on the side from that several years later that started the the blog and podcast uh, specifically in the side hustle niche uh, to try and uh, really spread the gospel of this lower risk brand of entrepreneurship because the narrative that I was hearing at the time especially um, in the business world or the startup world was like, you're going to raise venture capital. You're going to have to hire all these people. You're it's like, no, that, you know, for the vast, vast majority of people, it's like, I want to start something part-time I want to start something low risk. I'm going to bootstrap it. I don't need outside funding. Um, and I can, you know, I can build it slowly. Like I don't have to, you know, make a dent in the universe. I'd be happy making a dent in my universe, right? A lifestyle business. And so trying to spread that word, um, through the through the show, and it's been an absolutely life changing uh, experiment, um, starting from just uh, you know fifty dollar mic in the living room kind of a thing. So you started that business, and you saw the need. You saw that there's an opportunity there. You started that business, and you, it allowed you to quit your job, which you're doing before. Was that the because I know now what you're doing now, which is podcasting and so many other great things. And we know that eventually, or it seems like eventually, this first business stopped and then you went here. But when you were quitting your job and you were saying, you know what, my side hustle is now becoming a great moneymaker, I can actually quit. Was that, was that, were there a lot of nerves in quitting your job and leaving that W-2 paycheck and jumping into your job, your, your, your whole full-time business? Or was that something that was like, you know what, it's doing so well, it's easy for me to jump into it. It's never easy. Like the timing is never right. So actually this is an interesting point in you know, economic history to be having this conversation because it was uh, mid 2008 when I was quitting my job. And so like the economy was like collapsing around us, like people were getting laid off uh, left and right. Gas was like 450 a gallon. Like it was not a really good time. But because I had spent the last several years proactively building this business, I felt almost immune to it. And it was still, um, you know, it was really an, an empowering moment, even from even earlier than that. I remember when I first made like a thousand dollars in a month. And I was like, you know, I was a single guy, like living pretty frugally. It was like, that like covers my, you know, whole expenses for like my entire day job salary is gravy, <laughs> which was a really empowering place to be. And, um, but it was still like, I was out to dinner with my boss and on my second beer before I finally got up the nerve to like, let him know, like, I am out of here. I'm thinking of, of quitting, like this, consider this my two weeks notice. And it was like this tremendous burden off my shoulders. Like it felt so freeing. Um, and of course it hasn't been all, you know, rainbows, rainbows and unicorns since then. Um, but at that time I naively thought that it might be, um, but it, it's still difficult because, uh, you know, it's three years uh, out of college. Can I really cut my own paycheck? And that is like, just cause you have this track record of revenue, like, does that continue? It was, it was still a difficult decision to make. And I'm, but I'm really glad I did it when I did, because actually on the first day, of, uh, of quote, retirement of full-time self-employment, Google comes in, they slap down my ad account. They say, you can no longer advertise with us. So like on day one, 80% of the traffic and revenue goes away. And so had I waited another couple of weeks, like I might've been too gun shy to ever, to ever, uh, to make the leap, you know? Man. So 
your business literally gets just about shut down. It's like outside factors outside of your business is causing you to lose money or lose customer base. That's, that's really rough. And so now you're realizing I don't have a job and now I have this business. What did that translate into what you're doing now and, and how you started this? Well, that was, first of all, a very stressful summer trying to get back in Google's uh, good graces. Like I still had hair at that time. It didn't last <laughs> much longer after that. Um, but three months late, you know, after some development expense and kind of changing the landing pages around, they uh, they came back and said, hey, looks like we made an error. You're good to go. And it was just like a faucet, like turn it back on. It was like, okay, whew. you know, dodged a bullet on, uh, on that one because it's like nobody was hiring at that time. It would have been really difficult to try and uh, go back and uh, uh, and get a job. The Transition point was in 2013, so now five years uh, into being self-employed. Um, after kind of like some soul searching of like, what do you want to be known for when people Google you? What do you never get tired about talking about? And over and over again, this idea of you know analyzing different business models and trying to figure out like where does the money come from, like that stuff was really exciting for me, and still is really exciting for me, and so that was kind of the start of the blog and the podcast, like try to, because uh, I'd started, a, I'd been blogging for several years on a personal domain, which nobody ever read because there was no uh, consistent theme or message to it. Um, and then the podcast honestly came out of peer pressure because the folks that I was following online at that time was like, uh, you want to have a personal brand, you got to have a podcast or or YouTube. That was the other option. I was like, well, I definitely don't want to do video. So this sounds like the lesser of two evils. And it was just getting over that initial inertia of like, well, I, I, I bought the mic and now it's like still nothing. You know you how if you have something that sits on your to-do list for like a few weeks at a time and then you kind of realize, well, nothing's ever going to happen until you make it happen. And so it was like getting over that initial uh, inertia to like, well, I guess I better schedule an interview. Like, how does this work? You know, and th those first few episodes are kind of entertaining to go back and listen to. But you you almost have to get in your reps in a business like this. So you went from having a, a business where you're doing the comparison shopping site. And is that still alive? Is that still going? It, it's not today. It was at this point in 2013. Um, and so that was still the main you know source of income at that time. Within a year and a half, it had kind of declined to the point where it didn't make sense to continue to support it. But in the meantime, this other side hustle or this other side project, Side Hustle Nation and the Side Hustle Show, we're starting to show some signs of life, some signs of traction, where it's like, okay, I can transition my focus and energy over here because I see uh, some greater upside um, on, on this project. Yeah. And with the Side Hustle Nation and the Side Hustle Show, you, how long, well, quick question, how long have you been doing that podcast, the Side Hustle Show? We're coming up on seven years and 300 and 80 something episodes. Man, you're you're like the grandfather of all podcasts with side hustles. I mean, you had to have been probably one of the first ones. And so that's why I really, well, there's a number of reasons why you and I hit it off. Number one, we love skiing. So we love snow skiing. And that was when we uh, we met before at a couple of conferences, but we really got to know each other a lot more recently. I think it was in February. We went to Tahoe with a bunch of other, um, you know, content creators uh, skiing in Tahoe. And we had a tremendous time skiing and i was like dude this nick guy he's pretty cool he could not i don't I, it's gonna sound very braggy but he could keep up with me like most people i'm like okay you know i get down and i'm like waiting okay guys come on <laughs> but i was like nick yeah. and i were tearing up the slow so that's one 
Number two, side hustle. I love side hustling. I love figuring out ways to make money. But number three, and we'll get to do it, is being frugal. I am very frugal, but I bet Nick is probably more frugal than I am. But I am very, very frugal in myself as well. So we'll get into all that. But okay, so if we want to start a podcast, we, we realize not just a podcast, but getting, getting a brand that's like Side Hustle Nation, that is also having a podcast, that's having multiple streams of income. I think you are also very, very wise to realize, not realize, that's not the right way to say it, because you had your first business, the comparison shopping side that got you um, your business going, that got you out of that job. And then you realized, you know what? I have a little bit of extra time. Let me get another stream of income. Let me see if there's another way to start making money or do something with my time. And I personally have many different streams of income, but I have one river. The river is my real estate. That's like, that's where all the money comes in. Uh, but all these other businesses that I have bring in money, which is great. So if one kind of shuts off, like if Google says, okay, no more, I, I'm not stuck. You know what I mean? And so if my real estate, if that blows up, I'm not stuck. I still have some more income. So I love that idea. Now, you transition to now doing SideHustleNation.com. And you also eventually created the podcast, Side Hustle Show. What is the process if we want to be a brand, if we want to have not just a podcast, but also a website? Do we start with the website? Should we start with the podcast? What's the first step that we should do? Well, there's, there's a lot of moving parts in any sort of online business, but at the bare bones, yes, a website, a home base that you own and control would be 100% recommended. The podcast for me was the kind of early content distribution channel. And the weird thing about that is I thought of myself as a writer first, where it's like, you know, I've been blogging for years, always enjoyed writing. Like this is okay. I'll be a blogger, right? The within the first year, the podcast had grown like three times faster. It was like, hmm, maybe this is something. And so, you know, uh, you know, as you see something, you kind of make adjustments and you're like, well, maybe I need to lean into this podcasting thing a little bit. And for, for several years, that became the main driver of the business in terms of discovery, in terms of people sharing it word of mouth and like, Amazing, especially, you know, somebody can spend 30, 40 minutes with you in their earbuds. And they can do it week after week after week. It's a really powerful relationship builder. And the benefit for me as an introvert, like if you hand me a mic and say, go, like monologue, like, uh, you know, I'll just freeze up. But hosting an interview show, like, oh, I can point the mic at somebody else. Let them, you let them be the star of the show. And over time, some of that authority starts to rub off on you. So tons and tons of benefits of podcasting. Yes, you know, of course, when you look back in hindsight, 2013 seemed like the early days of podcasting. Uh, I was definitely not the first entrepreneur interview podcast. There were already probably a dozen or more out there. Um, and so you have to conquer that self-doubt of like, well, does the world really need what I have to say or what my guests have to say? Like how I'm going to be different, how I'm going to be better. Um, it was Jonathan Mendonca from Choose FI, you know, tons and tons of blogs talking about uh, the fire movement and financial independence and retirement early and stuff like that. Um, he's like, and a few podcasts he said had episodes about it, but there was no dedicated show for it. And so he and Brad created it, blew it up, you know, first year it was, you know, uh, insane. So uh, podcasting, yes, it's more crowded today. Yes, there are, there's bigger money in it today. Like that's probably the biggest shift since 2013 is now you have the New York times and NPR and like these really highly produced shows. So you got to figure out, okay, how can I compete? How can I carve out a little niche in the market? That's not going to be able to compete on production value with a staff of 14 people, but I, I'm going to compete on content. 
uh, instead. So that's the first thing. The other thing that really excites me about podcasting is the, I don't know, the latest stat, like half of the, half of the planet uh, doesn't even know what a podcast is yet. So um, on the one hand, that's still a big segment of the population to serve. But on the other hand, like there's tons and tons of room for growth in this channel. And if, if people are anything like me, when I first discovered like on-demand audio, I could learn about whatever I want. I think about all the wasted hours and miles in the car, just listening to the radio and this stuff that didn't serve me at all. I think people are going to be hooked like I was as soon as I discovered it. Yeah. And there are, I don't know, millions and millions of websites or blogs or just sites on the internet, but they're only like, I don't know, a couple, two or 300,000 podcasts. So there, I, I don't, even if that, I, I want to say it's probably under 200,000 different podcasts. And so there are so many more blogs and a podcast is a great way to actually differentiate yourself uh, and getting your voice out there. We'll, I want to, we'll touch more into that in just a minute, but I do want to, um, if we were to get started, you said you definitely need a, a home that you're going to call your own, your own website, which absolutely wholeheartedly agree. You know, if you build it, like, let's say, uh, I'm not a YouTube necessarily like a YouTuber, but if YouTube takes down your channel, like you're done, they literally have nothing left, which is a bummer. Um, so if you have your own, your own site, you have your own podcast. So if you have something you can call your own, it's an asset that you own, then you're absolutely going to be doing so much better and, or you're more independent, which is great, but take one huge giant step out to look at the business. How should we go about figuring out what we should either or both having a website about and podcasts. Like what should we talk about? Because having that idea is one of the hardest things people might think, well, I like lots of things, or I only, I don't like many things that I enough to talk about. Like, how do we know what to go after? And you, yours is obviously side hustles, which is fantastic. Yeah. How does somebody do that? No, I've been, I've been in that same boat where it's like, I'm not really I feel like I'm not really an expert in anything, right? Like I'm a, I'm a mile wide and an, and an inch deep, whereas some people it's like, oh, I'm the real estate guy. Like I, you ask me any question about rental property, like I'll figure it out. Like I don't really have that. Like I'm a dabbler. And so this is uh, helpful for me uh, because it allows me to dabble. But um, in terms of niche selection, you can ask yourself the same questions that I asked me or my, myself, like back in the day, like, you know, what do you never get tired about talking about? What really excites you? What do people ask you for help with? Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to go down the road of like, what am I passionate about? And actually it was really funny. A recent guest on the side hustle show was like, do not under any circumstance, start a business around your passion. Because if you're passionate about it, somebody else is probably passionate about it too. When people are passionate, they do irrational things like work for free. That's not a, uh, a market that I want to compete That's in. That's so true. And so it's like, okay. So, so he, he argued for uh, competence uh, instead of passion. So like, what are you skilled in basically? And if you're thinking like you don't have any skills, I guarantee you, you have the meta skill of learning new skills, which as any entrepreneur will tell you, like that's the name of the game. Like every step of the way, you're going to have another hurdle to figure out another, and another skill you're going to need to learn to bust through that barrier. So uh, I guarantee that is a skill that everybody has. Yeah. So you're, you're not in, in complete disagreement to go after what you're passionate about. You're just thinking, 
it, the downside, or I'm, I'm asking the question, I'm not stating this is what you're thinking, but the downside is you can actually do irrational things. Like you said, do it for free, which is a bummer because eventually you're like, man, I just got to start making money. Um, is that, is that what you're meaning? Is that you can, you can at the same time, you just got to be watching out for that. Or are you just like literally go against what you're passionate about? Did be, be cognizant of that, you know, take a look at what is out there in the market and if there's a way to differentiate, like, okay. And maybe my wife is an example, like her hobby was photography and like not even a super long lasting hobby. Like, you know, she hadn't been doing it for years and years, but her and her friend decided to throw it out into the world, throw an offer out into the world to, Hey, we'll, you know, they'd done some family photo shoots and stuff. Like we'll shoot your wedding. Like that was a, that was a big um, like offer to put out into the world, having never done it before. And I think that's the same for anything that you're offering as a paid service for the first time. And so they started off with really low pricing. Like obviously like these brides are taking a huge risk. Like, Hey, we don't have any wedding portfolio pictures to show you. So it's like, you know, those first, that first season was, you know, these really budget weddings where basically they weren't competing with professional photographers at that point. They were competing with like, Oh, my, my friend who has a camera, you know, that was like what these brides and grooms were going to have at their wedding and said, well, you know, a few hundred bucks, we'll hire these people. Now that they have a portfolio and have been doing it for several years, they've like 20 X the price since then. Yeah. And so going from there, once we were, cause I realized for me and the reason why I started master passive income, my first online business was because I literally had so many people asking me, how did you quit your job or how do you invest in real estate? And I was like, maybe exactly. I have something here. And so I saw the need and you know, people were saying, I like the way you teach it. And so I just said, let me figure out how to do this online. And I found a lot of resources and stuff and started master passive income. And then for me, successfully unemployed, I now have the luxury of doing something that's my passion. And so Real estate, I love I love real estate. It's not necessarily my passion passion, but I have 30 plus properties and so I literally don't have to work. So it's it's easily it's 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 a part of me. Like it's it's I can't remove real estate from me. That's just part of me. And then master passive income, that's more of a passion because I love serving people. I love helping people and I love teaching and I realized I need a better way to teach more people at one time because one on one it takes a lot of time. It's great, but man, it's so much work. And so I started right. master passive income. Now I'm really happy that my passion, really just talking to other entrepreneurs, other people who've figured out ways to not have a job, that J-O-B, nine to five, just <laughs> over broke job. I, I love successful, That's this is my passion. So this is why I love this show. It's more of just a passion project. Hey, everybody, there's so many ways to quit your job. Okay, so once we have a general idea, we're going after what we're competent in. And I want a quick side note on the competence. So somebody might think, well, I'm not a guru or I'm not a 100% expert. Like I don't know everything in the field. Well, you shouldn't, that should not stop you. In my opinion, it should not stop you from starting something because no matter how much you know, there's always, always going to be somebody that knows just a little bit less than you or a lot right. less than you. So whatever your level of competence is, you're going to have good understanding that you can teach somebody else. And as you learn more about your business or about what you're competent in, and as you teach more people, you get better, you get more competent, you get more secure in yourself and realize, man, I can absolutely teach this stuff to so many people, even though there are gurus that are way above me, I still have enough to teach somebody else. So yeah, competency yeah. and your passion, like you try to well round that out to get something out now. Okay. So we create a website and you have 
the website, you have articles on there. You probably, you know, you have for a blog, getting people with traffic in there. Is yes. that right? And then you also have the podcast. Like, is that three main, like the, the website with articles and podcasts? Is there anything for the, the, uh, the content or the guts of what you're doing? Is there anything else we we're missing? Yeah. So written content, um, in the form of usually long form blog posts, um, you know, 25 ways I make passive income. I have a ton of fun writing that stuff. Um, and then audio content in the form of the podcast have shifted a little bit to kind of creating a pretty detailed summary of most of those episodes um, and putting that on the website as well for uh, hopeful, hopefully like search engine discovery. If somebody is Googling like how to start a junk hauling business, for example, um, I haven't checked recently, but for a time they would find my interview with the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Like, okay, here's how he says he did it. You're like, okay, awesome. The one important inflection point for me in the business was not that strategy though. It was in recognizing that the podcast is unlikely to be a, a standalone business on its own. It could be today, but in the early days, just the listenership wouldn't justify it, right? Um, but I recognize, oh, it could still be a, a content marketing arm for the business. And so for me, that subtle shift um, resulted in trying to convert listeners into email subscribers because it's such an anonymous medium. Like you will never hear from the vast majority of your listeners. And like, that's totally fine. But if you have a way to stay in touch with them, and for me, that was through email, like that was a big inflection point for the business. So what that looked like uh, in practice was creating episode-specific opt-ins, episode-specific lead magnets. Like, hey, we understand you're out uh, walking the dog or you're at the gym or you're driving in your car, probably not in an ideal place to take notes. Don't worry. We did it for you. You can go to sidehustlenation.com slash blah, 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 and, you know, download stuff for free or, you know, even through the link in your podcast player app, like we'll, we'll take care of you. Just punch in your email. I'll send it to you right away within. So I've a little over a year into doing the show had built an email list of a thousand people, which I love those first thousand people. Like that was like, I'm not discounting those people at all, but within three months of implementing this strategy, it was 3000 within six months, it was 6,000 within 12 months, it was 12,000. It was just, you know, off to the races for the business at that point in kind of like that year two, two and a half of, uh, of doing the show. So is the most of your, not necessarily traffic, but the driver of side hustle nation, is it the podcast or is it combination of both or is it because i mean you have a decent a, a decent decent you have a lot of people that listen to your show every single week is what's the main driver for the business uh for years and years it was absolutely the podcast and it you know blog traffic i didn't really understand uh seo or i didn't i didn't really study it much and so it was kind of an afterthought i would write articles that i wanted to write and totally like there's still definitely a place for that um, online um, in terms of, you know, a blog being kind of like a hybrid of this personal journey slash a, a collection of articles that are meant for discovery. And I've certainly learned so much through the FinCon community about, you know, how to get traffic to your website and stuff. I would be the person early on who would be like, I want to write an article on like how to, how to make extra money. And so I would like, Google, you know, how to make extra money. And I, and I would get these search results and I'd be like, well, you know, somebody's already written this article. And I'd be like, well, that means I, 
I don't need to bother. And it was so depressing. Like, have you ever gone to Google and gotten zero search results? Like, of course, somebody has written about this before. So kind of getting over that and being able to put your own unique spin on it, your own creativity, your own perspectives, like that's been huge on the blog front. But for years and years, uh, primarily driven by the podcast, um, we, we can totally geek out on podcast marketing if you want, but I will share uh, I will share this. So like you mentioned, uh, probably an order of magnitude less competitive uh, than the blogging landscape, right? Like you said, a couple hundred thousand active podcasts, um, millions of active websites. Um, and uh, on top of that, a really sophisticated search algorithm that is prioritizing high authority domains. If you're just starting out, you don't have a high authority domain. So uh, podcasting can be a way to connect with that audience in a much uh, less competitive uh, pool to swim in. Uh, for me, I had an email list of 11 people when I started the show, um, entirely friends and family. But what I did have, and you probably have too, is a network of connections and friends and colleagues that I had communicated with in the past that were probably at least somewhat interested in what you're doing. I mean, the average person has like 246 Facebook friends, right? Like these are people who like at least kind of, you know, might care what you're, what you're up to. And so what I did was went through my Gmail contact, uh, basically like opened up a new compose window and just started typing letters like A and see what would pop up in the suggested window. Like, oh, I haven't emailed Aaron in a while. Like, hey, Aaron, you know, what are you up to? Uh, by the way, I have this uh, new show. Like you don't even have to listen to it. Every download counts. What And that was like kind of what I wrote in 2013. If I was doing it again today, I would probably shift that to being like no ask in the first email. I'll just be like, hey, it's been a minute. What are you up to? What are you excited about these days? Um, because it's human nature for them to res respond um, in reciprocity and say, here's what I'm up to. What are you working on? Like, that's your invitation to, to say like, hey, since you asked, I got this podcast, right? Um that's kind of like the gorilla, you know, boots on the ground effort to kind of get that initial traction. And we've seen it in Apple Podcasts. We've seen it in Amazon and Udemy and even YouTube um, and Fiverr and like kind of all of these you know, mini marketplaces. If you can give those algorithms a little push at the beginning, right? Like they're not going to do all the work for you, but if you can provide that little outside push, then they start to spin in your favor. Does that make sense? It sure does. That's a great, a great idea. Cause I was thinking if we're going to, well, before we, yeah, pausing that thought, I want to jump into marketing, which is, that's a fantastic marketing thing. And everybody listening in my brain starts to think, okay, so we have an email list. You've grown that really, really well. You have a lot of people listening. You have the blog. How do we make money from all this? Like what, what is, what's the income string? Like what do we do to make money? And what's your number one stream of income right now? Yes. Um, the three biggest uh, pillars of my uh, income stool are sponsorships on the show, which first um, kind of official sponsors kind of came on board maybe three years deep into the show. So don't count on that uh, being anything you can bank on right out of the gate. Uh, affiliate offers on the website. So um, one example was, uh, you know, several years ago, I put out this list of, you know, here are the best Udemy courses for entrepreneurs. And I update it every year because they have like this annual New Year's sale. And it was a pretty blatant affiliate play where it was like a hundred affiliate links basically. And um, But 
people were thanking me in the comments. Like, hey, thank you for putting this together. Thank you for compiling this. And so that was really eye-opening for me too. And over the life of that post, and Udemy has cut commissions uh, a whole bunch, but over the life of that post, it's probably made thirty dollars or $40,000. So it's like from one The one post? post? So, the one yes. post? Because <laughs> it, awesome. it's like, I, would, I promoted it to my audience, to my email list, but then it started to rank well in Google because it was like six, 7,000 words, like a pretty authoritative post. And so people Googling best Udemy courses would find it there. So that was, um, that's a kind of an example of the affiliate stuff uh, that you'll find on the site. And that's something that I've become much better at, uh, you know, through attending FinCon and learning from the college investor and Dollar Sprout and, you know, some of these and well-kept wallet and like these big sites in the space um, that do really well with that. Um, so those are two big uh, income streams. The third would be my own side hustle experiments, um, which could be self-publishing, could be course creations, could be freelancing, could be e-commerce. I still have another affiliate site that I run in the uh, like virtual assistant space, which actually started before uh, Side Hustle Nation, kind of um, think like Yelp for outsourcing companies kind of a thing. Um, again, you know, going back to your niche selection, like, well, what do you know more about than the average person? Again, probably not the world's foremost expert on remote hiring, but had done a little bit of it and was personally curious about the industry and like which of these players are legit and stuff. So, you know, built out this little project eight years later. It's nine years later. Um, it's still plugging away. Man, that's and I, I love because guys like us, I mean, we're we're going to keep working. We're going to keep building. We're going to keep figuring out new ways to make money, especially side hustling. I love side hustling. I'm always figuring, hey, I can make a dollar selling this. Let me go ahead and do like buy it here and sell it here. <laughs> Even I, I got plenty of money. I just now I'm because I have plenty of money. I I don't always do, I used to before we had we, you know, we were I was successful and employed and all that sort of stuff. I would literally every single chance I could make money from anything from buying and selling something or working or what, what, some sort of side hustle, I would do it now because I have so many businesses and so much money, I now have to actually choose which opportunities to take. Because as I became successful and employed, I had so many more opportunities. And right now, there are so many opportunities to make money because as you grow, as you get better, you find more ways to make money and you just have to learn how to say no because you only have so much time or how can I hire somebody to you know, do this job. So it frees up my time. So man, okay. So you have, that's like, can I, can I pause on that? Because yes, that's like absolutely probably my most cited piece of advice from the side hustle show came from, I think episode 72, Ryan Finley was making a full-time living, just buying and selling stuff on Craigslist. That was what the episode was about. But at the very end, I was like, Hey Ryan, what's your number one tip for side hustle nation? He said, the best opportunities aren't visible until you're already in motion. And at the time I was like, yeah, it's kind of woo woo. Okay. Um, in the six years since then, a hundred percent true, right? Like there's this, um, call it side hustle physics, entrepreneurial physics, an object in motion stays in motion. You never know, like picking what's next doesn't mean picking what's forever. It's like, you have to get off the sidelines into the game, no matter what game that first step is, because that's going to lead to other conversations, other discoveries. Like I mentioned the virtual assistant site, I was actually working on a completely unrelated side project, like a site in the wine niche, which I had no business trying to create because I don't know anything about wine. I don't care about it at all. Um, but it was in the, in the research process for that site. I was like, huh, you know, the light bulb kind of goes like, what if there's this little pivot over here? And it's been so, so true. So thank you for mentioning that. That's, I love that idea. And it's hard to get 
opportunities when you're not moving. Like if you're if you don't have a business started and you're not ready for opportunities, it's really really hard to number one find them, but also to take advantage offered of opportunities. And I'll give you a, a quick example of, and you can extrapolate this out to different scenarios. But one is if you're going to invest in real estate, you need to start doing things now to make sure your life is ready. You have enough funding, make sure you can manage the properties. You build the business first. Like I always talk about building the business first. And I mean, if you even don't even have the money to do it or have the contacts to find money to do it, if a property comes right in front of you, you're literally like, it's 100% without a doubt, you're going to make $100,000 flipping this house or something like that. But you're not ready. You don't have the business set up. You don't have everything ready. That opportunity is going to come and go. It's going to go to somebody else who is already already for that opportunity. And so if you're moving right now, you're going to have opportunities come up even more so and be able to take advantage of those opportunities. So I agree that 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 statement is a little more woo-woo, like you said. That, that term woo-woo is that something I, I just picked up like uh, about a month ago. I was like, oh, what does that mean? But when you said it, I was like, oh, I heard that term. But um, yeah, it's, it's more like it's it's out there. Or it's like it's it's too thoughtful. But say that one statement one more time that that gentleman said on your podcast. It was that the best opportunities aren't visible until you're already in motion. That is... Brilliant. I mean, it, it really, really is brilliant because if you don't, if you're not ready for those opportunities, you're not going to be able to take advantage of them. You're not even going to see them. So, okay, those those are brilliant. I I love that. Now let's move into from the affiliates and the sponsorships, and you also have other other sites, other things that are bringing in money. But let's look at monetizing side hustle nation and the the um, side hustle show. If as we're going this direction. We want to make sure we get this one stream of income developed, and then we can start branching out to other opportunities. But we want to so make it this one really, really solid. How should we go about? I mean, is it literally going to be like two years of the site and podcasting before I can start making any money? Is it going to be sooner? Like, what is your thought process in when we can start making money? And what's the first opportunity that we should, like the low hanging fruit that we can get and take money? Well, I, I imagine people smarter than me could accelerate it a little bit. It, it definitely has been a long, uh, a long road. The first thing that I sold through the site, aside from just like you know Amazon affiliate links, was a, a private mastermind with me. It actually came from a friend of mine, a guest on the, on the show. Is like, dude, hey, you got you got people tuning in, you got people paying attention. They would probably pay to hang out with you. I was like, really, me? You know, I'm I'm not the expert here. Um, it, but you know, put it out there, hundred bucks a month, super cheap. Um, which again, at my in my, at my mindset at the time was like that's not super cheap. Like that's that's serious money. But looking back, it's like if I were to do it again, like it'd have to be significantly uh, higher priced. But put it out there, had an email list of maybe six, seven hundred people, got six or seven applications, and then ran those private masterminds for a couple years, and it was really rewarding to do so. When, uh, especially when you had a, a group of people who were committed and taking action and making progress week after week, and it's like you know week to week you don't see it, but you zoom out over the course of three months, six months, a year. Like look how far you've come in that time. And the folks who I still remember some of those early cohorts, and like those folks today have pretty substantial businesses. It's like kind of awesome to see how everybody has grown, uh, has grown out of that. And it's kind of like they put in this little bit of commitment upfront to, you know, network with, you know, like-minded people, people on a similar path. And then, you know, that compound effect, you know, kind of starts stacking up where you don't see it early on, but over time, it definitely, uh, it definitely adds up. So that was the first thing that um, I started to sell. Um, 
I think, uh, after I started to build the email list a little bit better. And I had some books on Amazon. So another book that I did in 2014 was called Work Smarter, which is kind of like a compilation of online resources. Did a big promotional push for that launch, which kind of put me on the map of a lot of different people kind of in the entrepreneurial space. So that was certainly helpful. After building the email list a little bit, the next revenue stream for the couple years was, um, you know, private coaching. Like I will, I will coach you on your side hustle, which I found was something I didn't particularly enjoy doing. I found that like direct uh, hours for dollars thing, like uh, that kind of stressed me out. Like you had to deliver some crazy uh, breakthrough on on every call. Um, but that was one uh, leg of the revenue uh, stool, kind of early on. And then the other one was kind of like joint venture uh, type of projects where it's like, um, you know, this is an audience that is interested in Amazon FBA. I'm not the expert in it. So let me find somebody who is, and they sell a program based on that. So it's like here, they're going to do this training for my audience. And, you know, at the end, they'll invite people to buy their thing, like really, really common um, in the entrepreneurial space and served me really well because I didn't have to create a product that I didn't, wasn't qualified to do and serve the audience. Cause it's like, look, if you want to learn this business, these guys have been there, done that. They've helped hundreds of other people do it too. Um, and so that was kind of the next, um, you know, some of the earlier revenue, uh, uh, revenue streams. And to think that it started with your site. Now, if you just have a website and you get people coming and you don't have an email list, that was really rough because you don't have any way to reach out to them again. And so if you have an email list, that really, really helps you. Talk, talk to us a little bit more about the email list. Now, I know you and I, we're not in the business of just collecting emails. We're in the business of monetizing those emails by giving them opportunities to get things or services or work with us or whatever it might be to help them to get where they are, basically to serve them. And the email list is an opportunity to show them how we can serve them. So talk to us a little bit more about the email list and the importance of that for our businesses. Yeah, this has been huge for me. And I kind of noticed it from some of the uh, newsletters that I somehow found myself subscribed to. Um, like Steve Chu would be one of them from my wife quit her job, where it's like, I was not a subscriber to his podcast, but now I'm on his email list because I, I forget what I opted in for. Um, and now he sends me some message about like, here's my latest episode, right? So he's like, kind of, it's like, oh, that sounds compelling. I'll go check it out. So he's kind of ascending me up. I'll call it the listener pyramid from strangers to listeners, to subscribers, to fans. And like every touch point you have is a chance to ascend somebody on that pyramid. And that's kind of how I looked at it. It's like, you know, my first battle is this battle for awareness. Like, how do I get somebody to even know I exist? How do I get them to tune in? Like, that's the first thing, like, and that comes from like compelling titles and word of mouth, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and the marketing kind of guerrilla tactics uh, that we talked about and even SEO and Pinterest discovery, all that stuff. Um, the second level is like, okay, once you have somebody tuning in, what's next? What's that call to action? And for me, for a lot of years, it was like, download the PDF highlight reel, like over here, right? Like we summarized the episode for you. That seems to have maybe become a little bit uh, diminishing returns in terms of effectiveness. So, you know, I'm still playing around with what else might might work. But actually, um, a recent guest on the show, like she, for every blog post, she would do a video for every blog post she'd create, like, because she's in kind of the crafting niche. And so I was like, here's the project that I'm making. Uh, you know, here's the, you know, video demo of me doing it. Here's the written instructions. And then 
every post or almost every post kind of had uh, an opt-in was like, if you want my specific template or whatever that I used for this, like opt-in, her email list was like 375,000 people. And then she had her own uh, products that she was selling on the back end of that. I was like, holy crap. So I'm kind of like inspired by what other people are are doing in the space. Um, it's, and so it just kind of comes from paying attention, like what's working for other people. But an email is becoming, um, you know, kind of a, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I can see it as a forking either way. Like it's kind of disposable. But the other time it's like, hey, you know, that I'm got to be picky about who I let into my inbox. So it's got to be worth their while. And so it's coming up with whatever that thing is for your audience that, you know, delivers some sort of quick win or delivers some sort of uh, value that is worth opting in for so yeah, giving giving that value. Now I'm just thinking of that one lady that every single blog post having another opt-in, like something to deliver. I'm like, that is so many things that I have to create. Not just create. That's not the right. I wouldn't mind creating because you're already creating the blog post. You're already creating stuff. I could see creating a quick PDF that you know use this, but to manage all like upload a new thing for somebody to download, create a new form for I'm just all those things are logistically mm-hmm. running through my brain. I'm like, I don't want to do that. that yeah, but and so so the eighty twenty right. She has like, look at you look at the posts that are getting the highest traffic, right? So, you know, you could 80, 20 it. Um, and even like, I've done this for a handful of my posts, like, Hey, this is a super long post. If you want to download it to read it later, like here's a PDF version of it. Right. It seems silly because people could just copy and paste it themselves into Google sheets or whatever, but like, you know, thousands of people over the years have, have opted in for these things. So there's, so it doesn't have to be creating a ton of extra work. That's a great idea. Man, that, that's awesome. Okay, so once we have the email address, our email addresses, we, we've now figured out a way that, and I love the idea, what you talked about. Hey, you only have six, 700 people on your newsletter. Um, start a mastermind. Like they're gonna, they look at you as the expert, even though you might say, I'm not the expert. Well, if you, if you are in this space, if you're doing this, you're a content creator, you are the expert to some people. And so having that mastermind, that's a fantastic way to literally start making money. Even if you get two people in there, you're going to say, hey, every, for you guys that are in here, it doesn't matter if there's not anybody else. You're going to get so much direct coaching or direct working with me and each other. We're going to do so well. So don't let that, uh, I guess, daunt, be, be daunting. Like, how am I going to get 100 people inside my... No, it's even if you help one person, it's fantastic. I'll give you an example with Master Passive Income. I literally just started a membership. Now the membership has five courses in there, how to basically do everything in real estate. It also comes with group coaching. And on top of that, an investor mastermind. It's basically like a big community of all the people who are inside the membership. Awesome. We all mastermind together. Yeah. And you know, people are, it's uh, the price point is $200 a month for it. And there's like a $600 buy-in. I've already got five people. And so I literally just started a week ago. I already got five people in there because my newsletter, um, I already have like 5,000 people on my newsletters. Yeah, yeah. But what's great is the people that open my emails, they like, I like Dustin. I like what he produces. Let me go after it. And I want to, before we jump in, we're, we're closing it. We're getting close to the end. But before we get into that, I want to ask your thoughts on the type of podcast to go with. Now, Master Passive Income, it's 90% my content. Like I'm literally teaching this. And that literally shows everybody that I'm the expert or at least how I do my business model. If you like the way I say things, if you like my personality, you're going to listen. You're like, if you like everything about it, you're going to stay and you're going to want to you know, get more. If you hate yeah. it, you're going to turn it off and I'm not going <laughs> to waste your time, which is great. That's great too. And so it really feeds into 
my one-on-one coaching uh, for real estate investing, uh, my courses and all that sort of stuff. But there's also another, you know, there's many different ways to do podcasts, but another one is interview-based. Yours is interview-based. And you hit, hit on something that was rather interesting was how do we, in interviewing other experts, how do I also make sure that I show that I'm an expert as well? Like make sure that my information's coming out as well. And obviously over time, people are going to really gravitate towards you. So talk to us about the difference between why we would go with one as opposed to the other or any options there in between. Yeah. So some of it, um, some of that authority naturally rubs off on you when you start interviewing person after person after person. And it helps if you can kind of speak the language so you can can add to the conversation. And again, you know, not, you know, trying to one up your guests or trying to like, you know, show how smart you are, but just, oh, you know, that's interesting. We tried something similar over here and these were the, the results. How did that work? I also try and do kind of like wrap ups, you know, at the end of the show, like I'm learning right along with the audience. Like here, here are my top takeaways. This is what I was taking notes on. So I think that all helps. The other thing that helps is like, yes, super consistent format in uh, doing the, in doing the interview based show, but also mixing it up every now and again. So there are, you know, a handful of solo shows that I do. I'll do Q and a episodes, we'll do coaching episodes, we'll do, um, you know, kind of roundtable style episodes, try and mix up the format just to keep it interesting as well. Because if, if it gets too formulaic, then uh, that could be a problem too. So that, that that's a good idea. All those different thoughts of for successfully unemployed. So I love interviewing experts in everything that they do. And and because I learn so much, my businesses grow because I learn from other people. I just love learning from other people. I can always learn from anybody. But the thought of doing like a roundup or just like a, a, something that is outside the normal and so well, I think, what are some I think other you'll have it with your, your mastermind members, your membership members, as soon as they start to see success, bring them on successfully unemployed. You will never see a bigger spike in new membership signups. I promise you. Cause it's like, Oh, here's somebody who's just like me. And they started working with Dustin and then they got these results. Like I'm in all of a sudden now I'm in. So I think that's a huge opportunity for you. That's a great, great idea. I know like it's not just social proof. That's not it. That's literally a direct referral, like a refer, a testimonial from somebody yes. who said, no, I'm just a normal person. So I have for master passive income, I interviewed, I've interviewed two different students so far. And the requirement to get on the podcast is they have to have bought two properties, you know, while working with me, I've had two students that have agree, done it and agreed to be on the podcast. And I've seen the number of people that want coaching just skyrocket every single yep. time I release a podcast episode. They're because they're they're thinking, man, this person's not a, a personality. The person I'm interviewing, my student, it's not a personality. They actually live right right in the same state and yeah. they have the same type of job. You know what? I can relate if they can do oh, it. I can it goes do it. from like theory to practice for sure. Absolutely. So that's a brilliant idea. So last up. What do we do to scale the business? Like, how do we make sure that we can obviously continue growing is doing a, more podcasts and stuff like that? We didn't talk about once a week, twice a week, eight times a week or whatever it might be, which <laughs> that's a whole nother, like we could talk about logistically. But if we were going to scale the business, the podcast, our site, like Side Hustle Nation and the Side Hustle Show, if we're going to start doing that, what what's your advice to start scaling the business? So scaling for me has looked like... Um, drawing back those group programs, drawing back that one-on-one -on -one time, because it's like that is something that does directly rely on my time. It's been um, delegating where budget 
uh, allows or maybe where revenue justifies it. So today, like I have a podcast editor that helps clean up the shows. I've got a guy who writes up the show notes for the shows. I've got an assistant who helps plug in these different lead magnets. So I've added to the team and the scale as it um, as kind of the as the business grew. And so that was you know the one way of scaling it. But the advantage is it's it's already kind of a one to many medium. Like instead of you coaching me on real estate one-on-one, like you're already broadcasting this out. And so that's like a really powerful place to to start. And then from the one-on-one stuff, I imagine you get the same questions over and over and over again. And so you can kind of turn that into content and uh, disseminate that to the masses. That's kind of how things have, uh, have scaled uh, for me, just kind of being more intentional with my time. Like you said, there's a million ways to grow a business and make extra money? Like what excites you? Where do you see the biggest return on your investment? Uh, you know, what's going to best serve your audience and kind of pick the path uh, accordingly. And I know we didn't touch much on frugality because both of you and I are very, very frugal. It's really hard for me to hire somebody when I could definitely do it myself. But then <laughs> I realize, my goodness, how, how much money I make buying into the property or coaching another student, if that's something I want to do or developing a course or whatever my, like how much money can I make doing something else with my time as opposed to paying somebody 50 bucks or however much it is to edit a podcast when it takes me like an hour to edit the podcast. Like that's an hour when it costs 50 bucks. But if I'm coaching somebody for an hour, it's at least like a thousand dollars. I mean, it's, it's so much more money. So it's like, I'd rather much rather spend that time either making money or playing with my kids and I can pay somebody, give somebody income, a side hustle for themselves, helping other people out. That's a great, great opportunity. So I I love that idea. Okay. So last thing is the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Ready. Let's do it. Awesome. So these are big, broad questions. You should be pretty, pretty good at it. I, I have one that might trip you up, but the first one is if we have more time, which hopefully we have more time because we are not working nine to five, 40, 50, 60 plus hours for somebody else. We have a little time and ability to help other people to either make the world a better place or community or family. What are you doing with your time to help the people around you? Um, so for me, it's hanging out a lot with our kids these days and hopefully, uh, you know, building good citizenship there. Um, one thing that was actually really inspired by, uh, friend of ours daughter she's like in second grade maybe third grade now she organized um, what she just called park cleanup day which was like go to the park and pick up trash and we live even in a relatively clean town i was appalled by how much garbage there was like who litters today you know it's like it was so weird to see that so that was part uh one part of the inspiration to actually join um, an organization called one percent for the planet this year which is donating one percent of your revenue to um environmental causes and they're doing some stuff in response to coronavirus uh, as well but that for me has been helpful to um, it's like my journey with uh, philanthropy has always like been this rabbit hole down to research like well how effective are these things it's just like and then you get to kind of get into like the cause one-upmanship where it's like well how important is this compared to this like look here's something that is important to me, like being a good steward of our of our only known home and for future generations. So that's one thing that's uh, that's going on these days. That's funny when you said our only one known home. I, I did you ever watch the TV show The Tick, the the comic The Tick? I did not. So it was funny, but there's one thing that just always sticks in my brain, and this reminded me of it. Um, 
Somebody said to, to the tick, the tick is a superhero. If everybody doesn't know what the tick is, he's a superhero. He's literally indestructible. And somebody says, oh, this guy, this bad guy, the main bad guy is going to blow up the entire earth. And the tick says, oh, no, that's where I keep all my stuff. Because <laughs> <I was like, laughs> <laughs> he, he's indestructible. So, okay. Now, next question. Somebody wants to get started doing exactly what you've done other than getting started and you've given us such great advice so far. Is there any advice that you can help with us outside of what thing you already shared and just getting started? What advice would you give us as we're getting started? So really the most important thing for me in starting all these projects is, and, and for full transparency, we should note that there are at least a half a dozen failed projects that we haven't touched on here. And that's the stuff that nobody really talks about. Nobody should, because it's like, yeah, who who wants to hear about you know this website that ended up in the trash heap? Um, but approaching each of those um, with the uh, scientist's mindset, like this is an experiment. I have a hypothesis. I want to test it out. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with whatever result comes. Obviously, failure sucks. I'd like for it to succeed. But even if it fails, like, okay, I'm going to learn something from that and apply that to the next thing. So can maybe a combination of that experimenter's mindset with the persistence mindset that, you know, entrepreneurial physics and object in motion stays in motion kind of a thing where it's like, okay, that, that wasn't the thing, but you know, that, you know, getting off the sidelines and into the game, like, okay, maybe I wasn't meant to play shortstop. Maybe I should try my hand over here instead kind of a thing. Um, that has been really, really helpful for me. Just lessens the sting of the failures that come that come along. It's like, hey, it was an experiment. I like that idea. That that the thought that you're changing your perspective as opposed to I'm not necessarily gung ho, but like this is my one and only thing, and I got to make it work. Rather than that, think of it as an experiment. And that experiment, if it doesn't work, you've learned. Hopefully, you've learned a ton. I know. I learned so much more from my failures. You know, my successes and wins. I'm like, great, that was great. I because of this, it, it, I won. But when I fail, oh my goodness, those are ingrained in my brain of why I failed. I cannot do that again. And so hopefully we have that perspective. Okay. So here's one. Here's a oh no, I actually even asked you this question. This is the one I thought was gonna trip you up, but you already answered this because I asked you a while ago. But yeah, actually, we were on the ski slopes, sitting on the on the uh um uh gondola or the, the ski lift on the way up. I think I asked this question. So I want to ask you for everybody else to hear. You're frugal, just like me. And it's really hard to spend money. But what is the most frugal thing that you were most frugal about? Like out of everything, I'll give you an example. For me, like consumables, anything that's a consumable, even food. Like I'd rather just go to um, Panda Express as opposed to like Ruth's Chris. Even if I didn't have to pay, I'd be like, eh, you know, it's, it's, or I just, money in my aspect is like, it's consumable or like razors. I don't want to buy like the $8 razors. I'm going to buy the 20 cent, you know, Bic or something like that. What are you most frugal with? That's uh, that's an interesting question. So it's like, I've been, I've been the same size for 20 years. So a lot of my clothes <laughs> like still fits. I don't spend a lot on clothes. Um, probably the, you know, maybe the biggest uh, domino in this whole thing has been our uh, housing situation. So I'm recording from my kid's bedroom closet. We uh, live in a two-bedroom townhouse uh, type of setup, condo type of setup, where some more space would be nice. A dedicated office space would certainly be nice, but it would also cost 15 grand a year. And so it's like, where could that be better applied? And it's like, you know, 
for thousands and thousands of years, we didn't have three bedroom houses. So it's like, you know, this is perfectly survivable. And it's, uh, that's maybe the the lead domino versus like, oh, I don't buy coffee, right? It's like, no, this, this is a significant uh, cost savings. Um, and that's probably the biggest, uh, <laughs> the biggest uh, point of leverage for us right now. So the opposite question, where are you the least frugal? Like, what do you not mind spending money on? Um, health related stuff recently, um, in terms of like buying, um, like, yeah, we could eat much cheaper on rice and beans, but, you know, I've been trying to, uh, you know, pack everything with veggies, although getting to the grocery store is kind of a stressful situation uh, at the moment. Um, but definitely health related stuff has been uh, a point where I've increased my spending uh, in the past couple of years, even going and getting kind of like uh, blood tests done. Like, you know, how are you measuring on certain markers, which is something I never would have split. Like, I feel fine. Like, who cares? Like, just, you know, curious to see. You got to have a baseline if you, you know, run experiments and test stuff out. Um, so that's one area. Um, trying to think what else we have uh, spent money on. I mean, travel has been a big one, which you, you, we've largely been able to hack with, uh, you know, credit card rewards and stuff like that, and and are fairly frugal when we do travel. But that's been really rewarding as well, and something that um, it, it kind of pays you twice in, in a way. Like you have this, you know, anticipation buildup like before the trip, like after you like commit to it. And now you can like have something to look forward to, and then you have the trip itself, and then you have the benefit of like remembering the trip afterwards. So that's like a definitely a high return on uh, spending activity for us. Yeah, man, same here. We love spending money on travel. I wouldn't say love spending money because we don't love spending money. But on travel, we will absolutely spend money on travel. It's we'll go, you know, $15,000 go travel through maybe even $20,000. I, I just I turned my brain off for how much I spent going through Europe six weeks in Europe <laughs> through 11 different countries. I just every the one tip I had is every single time I had to spend money, I tried to figure out the best way to, to you know spend that money. But then I literally had to turn my brain off like, okay, we're just traveling. This is fun. Okay, um, yeah. almost almost done. What is one bit of advice you would give your younger self, you know, young, let's say, I don't know, 15, 16, 17, business, life, whatever. What is one bit of advice you would give yourself? You can figure it out. And actually, I was really grateful to receive that advice from, um, from my wife, my girlfriend at the time who became my wife. Uh, we were 19, I guess, you know, we were freshmen in college. And I was uh, considering taking this house painting internship. And you know, it was like, is this a pyramid scheme? Is this a scale? Like, and she's like, look, if it sucks, it's three months of your life. You'll figure it out. <laughs> and I was like, oh, good advice, you know? So um, that's been helpful. So like, you know, Marie Forleo has her, I think she has a book now called like, everything is figure outable. It's so, so true. Like, um, like you said, we talked about, you have the ability to learn new skills, you can figure it out. And that's been kind of the biggest challenge, maybe even one of the most important skills for me through the different you know, hurdles and obstacles that, that I've faced is like, okay, I'm sure I would rather not face it, but I can figure this out. I love it. I love it. You can figure it out. That's great. Okay. What is one app? It could be a tool. It could be a piece of paper and a pen. What is one thing that you use daily in your life that we should look into using? LastPass is the one that is like the unsung hero of, you know, my, my browser. Cause it's just like, it's a, it's a, service, actually a free service. Um, I think I started paying for it because I was like, I would feel better if I paid you something like just to keep my stuff secure. But anyways, it's a password management tool. It generates a secure password for you. It will fill those in automatically on 
you know, hundreds of different sites. So just, it frees up so much like brain capacity of like, well, what was my password over here? Is it secure? When did I last change it? Uh, I can share it with members of my team. So that's definitely one tool that would, you know, obviously you could live without it. You would, you would get by, but definitely makes life a lot better for me. Last pass. That's great. Okay. Last question is what is one nonfiction book that, I mean, it could be business or life or whatever it might self-help, uh, whatever it is that you think of, what is one book that we should read that you really, really enjoy? The one that I would point people to most often is The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. It's kind of a short story, kind of like in parable uh, form about the the power of just being helpful first, right? And I kind of read it at a time when I was working on this like wine related site that I had no business building. And it was like, how is this helpful, right? Like this is just another like me too throwing content out of the internet in the hopes to make an affiliate commission, right? Like how can I genuinely be helpful first? Part of the reason that the podcast did well, because there wasn't any monetization or overt, overt monetization at the beginning. It was just like, you know, want to be helpful. I want to share these stories. Like I'm genuinely curious in them myself and to be able to broadcast them to the world. Um, was kind of cool. So definitely uh, The Go-Giver is is worth a read if you haven't picked that one up. That's great. Go-Giver. Man, Nick, you've given us so much great insights. And we've already talked about the SideHustleNation.com and Side Hustle Show. But how can some be people, because they're going to want to reach out, they're going to want to learn how to do side hustles. And you are my expert to go with side hustles. How can they find you and how can they reach you? Well, a good place to start, obviously, would love to have you tune into the Side Hustle Show available in your favorite podcast player app. But a good place to start is if you're um, in the boat of like, what could, what could I do? What like what side hustle ideas are out there? Hit up sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. There's no opt-in required. This is my constantly updated laundry list. There's over 100 ideas on there of different ways you can make extra money. My hope is uh, by the time you scroll down to the bottom of the page, you got like eight or 10 different browser tabs open. Like, oh, that sounds interesting. I could do that. Let me learn more about that. That would be a win for me. That's fantastic. Sidehustlenation.com forward slash ideas. I love it. Oh man, Nick, it's great seeing you again. And it's great talking to you. Thank you very much for being on the Successfully Unemployed Show. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders Membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses, group coaching with me, and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. That's R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. So you can see how you can quit your job, that J-O-B by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Now, did you also know that there are video versions of each and every single episode on the Successfully Unemployed show? Well, I did record every single one of these for you. I recorded them for you so you will be able to learn from the experts themselves, see what they're doing, see everything that they are talking about on this show visually and all their examples, all their slides, all their pictures that they even draw. 
Everything is on there. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. Or if you just go to YouTube and type in successfully unemployed, more than likely you're going to find me. So successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. And I would truly appreciate it if you subscribe to Successfully Unemployed on YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to this show so that you can always get every bit of new information on how to quit your J-O-B. Also, if you got anything out of the show, share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya. See ya.